wait for it. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Happy Sunday. I hope everybody's had a great weekend. Here we are again. Sunday. Man, weekends go too fast, right? Uh, just a quick warning. My name is Charlotte. I'm the owner of the California Haunts. I'm your host tonight. Plus, I'm the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. Um, what I want to say is that this is the last weekend that I'm going to be in here without the air conditioning on. Because um, starting Thursday, it's going to get hot. It's going to be 90 degrees Fahrenheit, in the 90s Fahrenheit. Then it's going to jump into the hundreds to 110s over the weekend. So I will be using, um, I'm going to have a little bit different format where, because we, we, you know, we're doing this live on Facebook and YouTube and Twitch and TikTok. And since TikTok is, is run through my phone, I'm going to have my Bluetooth headset on instead of having these on. And uh, that's just how it's going to be. That's just the only way I can do it. You know, logically, otherwise you can't hear me over the air conditioner. But you guys over on, over on uh, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch can hear me regardless. And, and I know you can hear me, so I don't really need these on really te technically dur during this, this particular part type of show. Anyway, I'm, uh, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host tonight. We're going to read from a paranormal theme book called The Visitors, uh, the, the, the Night Visitants, uh, written by Anna Maria Manalo. And it's a great book. Uh, but I just want to warn you guys over on TikTok that if there's something in here that bothers you, you know, something that's said, maybe it's talk about a murder or something. This is a PG-13 channel. It borders on an R channel. So if, if, if you don't like something that I'm reading, you have the option to leave the chat room, right? You have the option to leave. Because I don't want somebody, you know, getting a hold of TikTok to get me banned. It's not fair to me because all I'm doing is reading a book. And I've, I've been banned a couple of times reading books. So I'm just giving you a heads up that, like, for instance, last weekend when I read, there was a spot in there where the father in the book had been fighting in World War II. And it was kind of graphic about how he had killed a German soldier. And so I didn't want anybody to get upset over over at TikTok. So I'm just t t telling you right now, that's an option you have instead of getting me in trouble with TikTok to just leave the room. Okay. Honestly, it's just a book. All right. So if you're over at TikTok and you like what you hear, thank you. Please tap your screen and, and send me some love. I, I, I love hearts. Also at the top, I do have a goal. And if, you, if you're interested in doing that, you, know, you like what you hear, that'd be fine. Uh, send me some palm trees. That'd be great. I, I appreciate it. You know, I gotta make money so I gotta, I gotta pay the bills somehow. But uh, yeah, this is California Haunts Radio. I do a show every uh, I do a show every day for six days a week. The first show is always a Sunday reading day, where I read from a paranormal theme book. And sometimes they're a fantasy paranormal theme, sometimes they're true. And this is and today's book is based on a true story. We're on part four of this. So um, yeah, and it goes for the same thing for Facebook. If, if you're feeling uncomfortable or YouTube or whoever's watching out over on this uh, the other end. If you, if you feel uncomfortable about something that's said in the book that, that, that I read out loud, then um, feel free to move on, okay? I don't want to have any anything turned against me or anything like that. Thank you. Okay. I can't see your comments on TikTok because you're on my iPhone and I have old eyes. So I see you commenting. Thank you so much. I really do. Okay. And if you like what you hear on TikTok, uh, you know, be sure to follow me if you haven't followed me already. Same thing for, for uh, Facebook. I'm going to say that. Okay, we're, we're going to lump all this into one because it's similar. So if you're watching from Facebook, YouTube, or TikTok, and you like what you hear, feel free to follow me or subscribe if you haven't done so already. All right? That goes for YouTube, Facebook, TikTok. Uh, TikTok to follow. And I've set, I haven't set up subscriptions yet, but I'll get there. 
Uh, the main thing is that I've got, you know, I, I do this show every day, Monday through Friday. Or, yeah. And I have really good guests on the other days of the week. Like Monday, we're going to have Matt Lewis on. We're going to be talking about Richard III and, and then the three missing princes. Okay, we're going to be talking about that tomorrow at noon. And if you're interested, you guys over at TikTok, if, if you like the show when you, you know about me reading tonight and you like what you hear, come on over and see me on YouTube um, at youtube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio. And that's where the show goes live every night. Okay, all through, all through Friday. So uh, anyway, welcome everybody. And, uh, you know, I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team. We're 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you have a if you, if you think you have a paranormal problem, you're in the state of California, it might take us a while to get to you. And by while, I mean one or two days, because California is this really big state. People don't realize how large a state California is. So we might have to wait a couple of days before we can get to you. In the meantime, we have psychics and mediums on staff who can call you and talk to you about what might be going on in, in your place of living or, or um, business. Okay. And then that could just, they, they can calm it down. We get out there, we can finish the job up. So, you know, we're one of the top, we're one of the top paranormal groups in Northern California. We've been like that for the last almost 20 years. And uh, we have a lot of experience people bring to the table for this stuff. Okay. Now over on YouTube is interesting. If, if you do go to the YouTube page, and you haven't been there before. There's 631 videos over there. Like I said, we're on six days a week. We've been on uh, about three and a half years now. And so there's a lot to choose from. And I've, I've taken the liberty of putting all those into categories so that you can choose better and find stuff. Because, man, even when I go in sometimes to look at stuff or, or, or look somebody up, I can't find it well because it's just all scattered. It's kind of like TikTok videos when you go on somebody's page for TikTok videos. You're looking for something and you got to go through everything and see what they are. That's that's what was going on, with, on YouTube. So I turned around and made some folders and did all that over there. But I want to thank everybody for coming, everybody on TikTok who comes in tonight, everybody on Facebook, everybody on YouTube, everybody on Twitch, everybody on Twitter, everybody on Instagram. We're everywhere. And you can find us, actually, now that I've said that. You can find us on Facebook under California Haunts, under my personal name. You can find us over on Instagram, and then my, it's under Ghosty Gal. Ghosty Gal. You can find me over at uh, over at Twitter, at, like, it's California Haunts. It's also California Haunts on TikTok, and on Twitch, I believe we're Cal Haunts. So we're everywhere, all right? And this also will go out as a podcast as soon as as soon as the show is done tonight. I will be releasing this to a podcast, which means it's going to get distributed all across all the major podcast places, okay? All right, welcome, everybody. Um, we're in Chapter 29 today, and uh, the book's moving right along. Last week, uh, a lot of secrets came out. Uh, the father, you know, in, in the book had fought in World War II and brought home some souvenirs from fighting in Germany. And uh, it seemed to be causing some problems. Well, it led to the house burning down and things happening to the youngest daughter and all this other stuff. So this is where we're at now. Now she's an adult and she's trying to get through life. But my understanding is, and I've talked to Anna Maria Manalo, who's a good friend of mine. And believe it or not, this girl is still having paranormal issues. Like when she was little, you know, she, she was seeing stuff come out of her bedroom and stuff. She's still having paranormal issues. Like she had almost like an attachment. So it's kind, of, it's kind of a sad story in a way. All right. So I'm going to be reading. I'll be reading for about an hour. And again, keep uh, you guys over on TikTok. Double tap that screen. Try, you know, show me some love. Let me know you like what I'm doing. I want to keep coming back doing this. You know, I'm, I'm real excited to be here and uh, everything else. And the same goes for Facebook and YouTube and 
all those other places. If you like what you hear, show me some love, okay? Because the more love you show me, the 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 the, the more they, they distribute this, okay? The more they're going to distribute the shows. And that's what I want to do, is distribute the shows. Get the word out about the show, okay? All right. Well, without further ado, we're going to get on with the book here. Let me get my old eyes going here. The book is the night. Okay, the book is the night visitants, a ufologist, a ufologist, an experiencer, and the undefinable is the title on the book. So please, over at TikTok, tap those screens, tap those screens, tap those screens. Show me some love, and maybe send a palm stream or two. Okay. Tom parked on the driveway and leaped out of the car. His encounter with the object seemed like it was a dream. It was too good to be true. Though alarming as he was. Uh, so the alarming as he was on the highway and could have been an accident. He took a deep breath before approaching the car's windshield as if trying to convince himself that whatever grazed it was just his imagination, going wild after a few fitful nights of sleep. Tom needed to convince himself that whatever happened was not true, that he had just misinterpreted the event. It must have been a rocky reason that originated from a blast at the construction site where the detour was posted. However, Tom knew in the back of his mind, if he recalled accurately, he was nowhere near the flagman near the site. He was already on the turnpike when the object confronted him. No rock. It didn't look like one either. Surely others on the road has had a similar experience. You're not that special, Tom thought. The object was uncannily similar to the one hovering over the lake in New Hampshire. And the first was his wife spotted sailing past the living room window. All three sightings happened on the eve of uploading each of his three books. Coincidence? Once, perhaps. Twice, maybe. Three times, too much. And the impeccable timing to that. Tom got it. Something or someone was listening to his meditations and replied, just ask. He had been asking and he got his reply. Not once, not twice, but three times. He repeated in his head. Is that a coincidence? Tom touched the windshield where the discoloration appeared like a, like a check. The glass was still warm where the object grazed the glass. The mark akin to scorched glass. There was, there was his evidence. The first two sightings were close encounters of the first kind. The kind that didn't leave a mark or evidence. The third did. It was as if the universe was trying hard to convince Tom it was not his imagination. Honey, are you all right? Tom swiveled around his chair in his study on the second floor. Huh? Yeah, why? I've been calling you. Dinner's getting cold. Rita's face betrayed her perplexity. Her perplexity. She approached Tom, massaging his shoulders and glanced at his open laptop. Hudson Valley sightings? Tom absentmindedly looked up at his laptop. It's nothing. I'm just reading what happened here a while ago. The sightings? Tom logged off and stood. Yeah. Come down and get something to eat. Tom paused to look at his stack of maps and grabbed them. He took the mail and then decided to put them down. He paused, deep in thought. How was your trip to the bookstore? Silence. Let's go down, Tom prodded. I replugged your cell phone, by the way. It was out of juice. Chapter 30, 1969, Riverville, Connecticut. Show me some love, guys. Tap that screen. Just five miles down the road, they would be there in time for dinner, Shailene thought. It was already past seven, but they told her they would wait, as they knew they were stopping in town first to see some friends. The work week always ended well after some drinks with old friends from high school, some even from as far back as elementary. Refreshed from the get-together, 
with their mutual friends, Shailene pulled the wrap around her shoulders and rolled the window higher, leaving a notch at the top to allow for some of the, some, some of the breeze. It was drizzling softly, and she inhaled the freshness of the fields to the right and left that yielded its dew as they sailed past. Bob turned the car into a less-used road, a shortcut which went through a forest. Down the narrow lane, Bob talked about upcoming events and parties with their friends. In the serenity of the early evening, Shailene began to feel hungry, as they had only shared a few pretzels and nuts with their cocktail, and at the effect, and the effect made her drowsy. Deeper into the wood, the road led them, and they companionably took in the view of the trees in silence. The road appeared straight and unremarkable, with a thin stretch of lonely soil on either side, but an impenetrable darkness that signaled depth to the forest made her wonder how many acres it was. Shailene, a town girl, or townie, as they were called by city people, was not familiar with the surrounding forest which permeated the edges of Riverville. The forest only thinned in places where there was another town, like Salisbury or Cornwall, also small like theirs. Some of the forests that led up, the, up north stretched for miles past the Massachusetts border and snaked through the upstate New York area. She recalled family vacations they took to swim and walk the beaches of the coast facing the sound. But since her parents were not into camping nor fishing, they never took the children into the woods. Bob, a hunter, who was into the outdoors and a camp before. Bob was a hunter, sorry, who was in the outdoors and camp before. My bad. She was curious about that and hoped that when they had their own children, they would get to experience it. Shailene took in the vast stretches of wood on either side, feeling the heaviness of the day taking hold of her as eyes began to fold. The humming of the car's old motor, still in good condition, lulled her. Suddenly, the fair lane dragged as if a weight was on the trunk. The car perceptibly slowed as it pulled back. The motor purred in protest. Shailene sat up, now awake. What is it? she asked Bob. He appeared to be examining his rearview mirror. His eyes reflected his disbelief. Shailene read terror in Bob's eyes. What is it? Bob bore down on the accelerator looking ahead. Don't look, he replied. Before Shailene could answer, Bob leaned over and rolled her passenger side window up to the top. He locked the door. Perturbed, Shailene watched as Bob did the same with his door, rolling the window up and pressing the tab down to lock it. There was a definite feel to the car that was different, as if they were towing a trailer. Shailene turned behind her seat to look. Don't look, Bob yelled. She swiveled front in surprise. Shailene pulled her seatbelt on as she faced forward, and Bob locked the belt onto his own waist. He turned the car in a tight circle and back on the, and back on the other way towards town. Shailene could feel the car's drastic tight turn drag something behind them. What's happening, Bob? Tell me. Not now. Just hang on. Where are we headed? We're headed back. I know. I gotta get off this road. Frightened now, Shailene kept her eyes riveted to the front, hoping the street would open to the wider, round, to the wider road signaling the start of the suburban areas. Streetlights. Bob pushed the car forward, his foot on the accelerator. Houses went past, then the main street ahead. The car lightened. Bob slowed in response to the weight lifting off. Shailene looked behind her, noticing nothing. She was shaking. What happened there? Let's go to the bar again. You won't believe what I saw. Bob parked, helping Shailene out of the passenger door. She was shaking. Over her shoulder, he glanced at the road where traffic was passing. Hand in hand, they re-entered the bar. The lights and music, a welcome relief to what they had just encountered. 31. 
Tom read by the light of two lamps in his study. His desk, his desk pulled, pushed against the window, which faced the woods behind the property. He wondered how far the forest stretched and made a mental note to check on Google Earth. Tonight, he noticed the woods appeared to hold the dark in its embrace. He wondered if it had been that way since they moved here. The vegetation, impenetrable, or if his sensitivity to his physical surroundings were somehow enhanced. He seemed to taste his food more, hear things he never heard outside, or notice the overall, notice that overall the colors were sharper around him. It had just turned 10 p.m., according to his clock. Tom heard the sliding glass door open and watched his son exit the back patio. Tom paused by his father's window and looked up at Tom. Tim, I'm sorry. Tim paused by his father's window. Tim, Tom. Tim paused by his father's window and looked up at Tom. He waved goodbye. Tom waved back, grinning. It had been a good dinner. Tim walked away towards his car in the driveway. Tom sat back and stared at the forest again. The woodline appeared deep and foreboding. He wondered if, this, if, if his vivid dream of encountering the man and the object was in the forest somewhere ahead. Somewhere in there was where he had met a being who asked to use Tom's energy to heal another being as it lay in wait inside the landing craft. Instinctively, he looked down at his slippered feet and recalled the lucidity of the dream that made him check his naked, made him check his naked feet upon awakening. Okay. Tom reached for the first questionnaire on his pile of mail. He decided that, as he had been planning to get at the accounts of abductions, he would peruse them first before the maps. First, the abduction responses. Then the maps. He finally got what he had been waiting for, an achievement he would mark with the publication of another book if the replies from the abductees led to cassette. Most, he knew, had dropped off after he had indicated he may publish their accounts. However, there was a small pile before him, and these appeared promising. A stickler for data, patterns, and other, uh, other minutiae that distinguished him as a researcher, Tom dated the receipt of each email and paper he received in his file. He noted the postmarks in his notebook, which was again gaining pages. He looked up one last time out at the evening sky as it turned to night. He stood, shut the door against the sounds of the television in the family room below, and then sat facing the mail. He reached for the first envelope, the size of a Life magazine cover. He recognized the creases he himself had made when he had folded it with, stamps, with the stamps provided into an envelope and with the multi-page questionnaire. He read. He looked up again and noted the darkening sky with the multitude of stars. The first two envelopes contained accounts from two men, one comment, commenting his desire to remain anonymous. Then, setting them aside, Tom reached for the third one. This envelope had accounts about children unlike, unlike the other two. Like I said, if this gets to the point where you're uneasy about what I'm reading, you have the option to leave the chat room. Okay? We are, we are rated PG-13 today. This envelope had accounts about children unlike the other two. It came from a woman, a mother. With relief, Tom noted that each of the questionnaire responses contained phone numbers. As he read each one, his frustration grew on, on his countenance. People never seemed to follow instructions. He was confused as to which reply was for which generation. In the end, Tom resolved that he would need to follow up with a phone call to each individual to get clarification to his questions. He began by labeling the top with a person's name, age, and occupation. Then, 
He rewrote the phone number next to their name. Perhaps he was tired. Tom would read the answers again first thing in the morning in the light of day. Some of the answers appeared too fantastic to be true. Some of it left him wondering and doubting the person's mental stability. Surely there was a more logical explanation, and he was missing it since he was tired. Sleep always helped to clarify everything. Tom shut the door to his study, walked slowly down the carpeted stairs, and rejoined Rita in the family room. He paused at the sofa as he noted that another documentary on UFOs was on, and earthquakes. Is this all coincidence? Rita asked from the sofa. Tom shook his head perplexed. It must be some kind of marathon. None of the shows prove anything, though. Rita looks down at his hands, holding the maps. I'll need to borrow the kitchen table if you don't mind. Tom replied to his wife's unspoken look. She nodded gravely, studying him. Chapter, th chapter 32, 1962, Riverville, Connecticut. Let me have a quick sort of drink here. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Sunday Evening Book Reading. If you like what you hear, guys, show me some love. Give me some smiley thumbs up and all that good stuff. Same thing with TikTok. If you're, if you're liking what you're hearing, tap that screen. Tap that screen. You sure don't want me to come along. No, that's all right. We'll be fine. Bob reassured his friend. It was past eight now. and They needed to get going. Back then, there were no cell phones to call parents of a delay or change of plans. They needed to rush. Bob opened the car door for Shailene as he waved farewell to his friend who stood outside the bar. If you change your mind, the friend prodded. I think it's gone, whatever it was. Bob turned the car around in the direction of the town outskirts, heading back to Shailene's parents. The friend waved, his brows furrowed in worry. Shailene couldn't shake the feeling of isolation that seemed to accompany her like a shadow. The sense of security she had before when they had left the bar earlier was now gone. The merriment, like beach sunshine and ice cream, was gone. The festivities and gaiety of long-earned friends of the earlier evening seemed like it was long ago. Shailene glanced out the window, now rolled up and completely closed. The button pushed down the lock. She didn't know what it was that Bob had seen. It troubled her farther, further that he had told a group of friends what he saw, but excluded her from earshot, pushing her in the direction of her female friends, who then later whispered confidences with their own boyfriends what the men had seen and learned. The lack of clarification served to alienate her and elevate her anxiety. Her own instincts, deep in her being, told her Bob was truly frightened by what he had seen, and perhaps he didn't think she could handle it. She sensed that he was, in his own way, trying to shield her from the encounter by not telling her everything. That left her to her own imagination, which she felt was worse. She studied him as he drove, her thoughts turning to how little she knew of him in times of uncertainty. Something made her feel powerless, almost hopeless, as the houses became fewer and less frequent on the narrow road. They passed a familiar sign which indicated the miles to the next town. Then a mist appeared to emanate from the ground as they re-earned the copse trees again, parted by the narrow lane. A thump? In a now familiar way, it pulled the car down. It was back. The motor protested with a whirr. A heaving sigh escaped Bob's lips as he looked in the rearview mirror. Shailene quickly glanced at Bob as he bore down on the accelerator. It was riding on the tail again as if trying to bear it down on, car, on the car. Let's go back, Shailene ventured. No, we can do this. Please, what if it gets in the car? 
Don't look. Don't. We have to get help. Bob kept shaking his head, sweat building, sweat beating on his forehead. Okay. His interest in this ratcheted shaling stress. Her fiance appeared about to burst a vein, his face red and angry. Your door's locked? Shailene checked. Yes. Hang on. The gear shifted to take in the weight as Bob pressed down on the accelerator. The motor revved. Shailene stared at the windshield in terror and trees as trees sailed past. She dared not look her to her head, even to the even to the passenger window. The car sputtered, threatening to stall as the weight continued to push the car's rear end. With clenched fists, Shailene held on to the car's handlebars, feeling a chill permeate the interior. We're going to get into an accident if you don't slow down. I'm trying to shake it off. It's not working, Shailene yelled. Bob glanced at the rear view. Still there? Yep. More trees came into view. The motor fought. Finally, the driveway to her parents' house appeared. We can't, Shailene yelled. It won't be there once the lights. We won't be able to get out. Trust me. Please, I don't want it to attack my parents. It won't. Bob slowed, feeling the momentum of the weight behind them shift as he turned the wheel. He turned into the driveway, the garage lights flickering as if to announce their arrival. Bob put the car in park and looked at Shailene. The motor idled, waiting. His face was changing, his mouth open in disbelief. He was looking beyond Shailene. I don't want to, she trembled. Stay still. I don't want to get out. Don't. Where is it? Don't look. Where is it? It's by your door, Shay. Shailene shut her eyes in terror. She felt herself shiver as the car and she felt herself shiver in the car quake in reply. It might break in, Shailene intimated, teeth chattering and as Bob held her close. She felt a foreboding darkness engulf her, clammy hands like tendrils, reaching for her, eager to consume her, waiting to seep through the glass of the passenger window. Then she felt Bob shifting the seat. Suddenly, cold fingers were around her throat. They tightened. She was choking. Shailene opened her eyes in terror to find Bob's eyes staring back at her in frozen glee, his own hands around her throat. She fought back. Chapter 33, 2013. Tom. The first questionnaire didn't really reply to my queries. The subject, a man, replied by offering pictures of spirit orbs, or at least that's what he called them. His reply suggested he made personal research into these things, but it appeared slanted towards a conspiracy. He didn't seem to try to understand the phenomena, but to suggest that there was something veiled about the orbs, such as an agenda. I suggested he seek a shaman. I called him, since a number was provided, or several psychics, in order to determine their nature. His description of the orbs suggested intelligence, and the nature of the area where he had seen them pointed to perhaps some American Indian involvement. That was a historical site where the American Indians were formerly active. I still maintain that to this day. Intrigued, I followed up with another call later. He emailed me pictures, pictures, where he tried to convince me that he was being abducted. He seemed surprised that abductions were cyclical, yet he knew all along he was being abducted. The pictures were sketchy at best. He knew about cloak about craft, spaceships, that travel invisibly. He kept telling me there were aliens visiting him at the house and was upset about it. I couldn't glean from our conversation what was truly in his mind, except that he seemed to know a lot about the topic at hand, but not why he was picked out. 
If there was ever someone who was intelligent enough to understand the phenomenon, this was the person. Yet, he was asking a lot of questions. I got the sense he already knew the answers, but was holding back for some reason. The next one was interesting, but mostly close encounters of the first kind, and perhaps even a close encounter of a second kind, with a triangular drawing of the person's body. The individual, whom I will call Dan, was a UFO buff since childhood. He'd been drawing UFOs since age 10. One day, he discovered a mark, an isosceles triangle under his arm. It's still there when I met him. Later, or sorry, later on, he saw balls of light, then strobing lights, and heard beeping noises on a separate occasion. These events are still unexplained. The third one was very interesting, and her replies were more detailed. It was a family with psychic abilities, according to the woman who I will call Serena. One of her children saw a ghost. Another met a tall blonde woman who appeared to her as a guardian angel. A series of interesting tidbits followed, but not of an, uh, of an abduction nature. However, upon checking the mail within a week, I discovered another response in my mailbox. This last response was shorter than the other three. It was, it was from a woman who lived alone in her 60s in a rural town tucked away in an East Coast state I wasn't allowed to divulge. I read her terse replies to my questions, which were close to the vest, almost shrouded, as the first one with the man I thought might be a conspiracy theorist, or perhaps a government employee. However, this one, who will be named Shailene, was different. Her tone didn't, embe didn't embellish, nor did it excuse a high degree of knowledge. She asked to remain anonymous, and her location changed. Hers was a series of terrifying experiences. I could not wrap my head around. A testament to a hidden agony suffered through experience. Her answers, though short, reverberated in my head and in my heart as a genuine fear of disclosure. Tucked behind this small town, still a village, and the standards of the 20th century was a secret. This woman holds a secret. She was very genuine. I read her fear. 34. Shailene. Okay, guys, if you like what you hear, give me some thumbs up and some hearts. Tap, tap that screen. Tap those screens. Tap, the, tap that screen, TikTok. Tap that screen. I'm in shock, stupefied, terrified, scared and simply stunned. Bob, the man who I thought was there to protect me, had his hands around my throat. First, my denial. It couldn't be happening. But it was happening. I began to gasp for air, feeling the pain around my throat as I struggled to pull his fingers away. Between the flecks of light that came with the lack of oxygen, I saw the face of someone deranged in the face of my fiancé. Something so foreign, yet something that had been with me before in another time and place. It was the face of one that imbued my nights with growing bread, a form that metamorphosed from the ceiling of my childhood bedroom. I tried to yell Bob's name, but I was silenced by strong hands that attempted to choke the life from me. It wasn't Bob, but I was looking at his face. The lines so familiar, the nose, the eyes, his chin and lips, his eyes. A strange light was within them, primitive, hateful, and full of malice. Those eyes. As I fought for air, I kicked with all my might. It seemed like hours. Suddenly, air came with a vigor. I was coughing with violence as I inhaled. I was suddenly free. My fiancé lay in a slump. I reached over him as I attempted to pull the door shut against the creature, but it unlatched in my weakness. He fell out of the car in a heap. My instinct to survive kicked in. With the courage of a muskox, I flung the passenger door open and darted for my parents' front block. They were outside already. 
I recall the tears on my face, the face of my parents looking back in shock, my grappling to put pieces of what happened to me, to us, as Bob lay on their driveway unconscious. My parents checked his pulse. Moments later, as he stirred, perplexed and confused, my father ushered us in. Minutes later, Bob's parents came. Questions. So many questions that I had no answers. Neither did Bob. Bob couldn't recall his hands around my neck. He remembered driving and being held down by something in the back of the car. He recalled their panic. Where did this thing in the back of the car come from, Bob? Don't know. It was just there when we drove through the woods coming home or coming here. It hitched a ride on the way here earlier. And when we headed back to the bar, it got off. Then it got on again. Pause. What did it look like, Bob? Bob looked at me, and finally, since it was gone, and because we were safe in the house, I think. He finally answered. It had a huge head with red eyes. Why did you try to choke her? I began crying, remembering his betrayal. You, sh you should have protected my daughter, said my mom. Why attack her? Bob's mother asked in consternation. I don't remember that at all, Bob yelled in confusion. He looked at me, but I don't recall an apology. Is it still out there, my father ventured? Let's look, someone said. The car sat on the bottom of the driveway, close to the road where we had left it. I looked up and down the road, prepared to run. There was no sign of the creature. My mom was right behind me and my dad by the road, surveying the darkness for whatever attacked the car. Bob's parents strode over, touching the car, studying the back. I followed them. Scratches lined the back passenger window. Claw marks marred the roof and the rear window glass, as if some wild animal was seeking purchase. Holding on, the, holding on as the car flew down the road. My old fears, a creature that marred my childhood of careless joy, resurfaced with the claw marks on the roof. What creature could be plaguing me now in my early years of adulthood? Had it returned to take from me the simple life and pleasure of a carefree youth, prematurely aging me as my fears resurfaced? Like a pond that harbored a secret in its depths, only to have a cadaver float to the surface. I inexplicably felt. I had felt shame in Bob's family. I concluded in silence that something had taken hold of Bob, changed him, made him vicious with hate, made him attack me when it couldn't enter our vehicle. I thought long and hard about what made Bob change. I concluded this. It must be something I brought into this life. Something from that building where my father brought home a war souvenir that destroyed our nights of childhood slumber the trophies of war in a duffel, one of which he hid in my bedroom ceiling. It was the beginning of the end. Whatever had perished with the fire in my childhood home, another foray into the dark and sinister began anew. It or they were here. This time, it came to destroy whatever life I had with Bob. I won't let it. Spooky. Chapter 35, April 2016, Tom. I couldn't sleep. I battled with an internal demon that was unshakable. I turned, unable to shake the thoughts that invaded me in wakefulness, taking me into an endless stream of visions, both menacing and hateful. My concerns for this woman, this stranger in her 70s, amplified as I called and received more details from her. I felt powerless to stop the chatter in my head. The fear took a hold of me like a broken ice axe in a glissade. Yet, I felt compelled to continue my calls, my research, a hunger for details I couldn't fathom. I found myself caught in a quandary, unable to stop calling for information because of my own penchant for being a stickler for details, being a researcher and being a teller of truths, as Shailene began calling me. 
The other part was my desire to help, to not abandon a woman who lived alone and powerless, whose only advocate at this point in her life was me. I was the first person to believe her terror-filled encounters. My silence is during the day at lunch upon Rita's awakening after her nighttime vigil and my frantic shuffling to grasp the meaning of Shailene's encounters deeply reverberated in my veins and in my gut like food I could not, would not digest. The information that flowed from, these, from this isolated woman freely like a broken dam now unleashed a narrative that plagued me. The silences, my silences, moved, the, moved to the dinner table too, too impatience. Rita soldiered through, the, through, nevertheless, a silent and patient support of my side, at my side. I would not, I could not share with Rita what I had heard from Shailene. The terror drummed in my mind and pounded my psyche. What those stories would do to my wife's sleep is something I, do, I dare not ask. I was, I feared, too close to the situation. I needed my wife to be as far away from it as possible, to be objective, a distant observer of my unraveling, if that is what it was doing to me. I must rescue Rita from this horror so she can be there to save me. However, one day, Rita heard snatches of conversation, one of the many, with a purported abductee. I cannot name her in the narrative, but if that conversation was enough to ripple our small pond of serenity, what would the information from Shailene do? With the wisdom of a devoted wife, she waited until I was ready to share what was to me a growing nightmare. Her emotions, which she wore in her sleeve, amplified my anxiety. I sensed that she tried to hide, having heard the nature of the conversation, and hoped she wouldn't ask me to repeat it. To add to the doom, like a growing malignancy, I felt compelled to call the others as well. The other experiencers who replied back to my questionnaires, just to confirm the reports. In my deeply ingrained habit to complete every iota, excuse me, every, every iota of information, I had formed a self-defeating pattern, like the patterns I saw in my research. As the narratives took shape, a deathless void in the form of a helpless, of helpless isolation filled my mornings with dread, so thick a dread that it formed a canopy against the noontime sun and a dreary foreshadowing of malice as twilight arrived, I was guilty, harboring a need greater than me for the information that I, and my, nah, I being naive in the final analysis, could not digest. However, despite the impact of their astounding stories, the others told over the phone passed in passed. In time, I learned the process, the unbelievable accounts out of my psyche, though their nature still reverberated in the form of nightmare after nightmare. But unlike the others, Shailene's stories persisted and troubled me the most. It reeked of violence, like an addict, no matter how terrifying her treatment, her testament. I called over and over again, trying to get Shailene's story straight. And that was my mistake. One night stood out most of my mind, one of which ended up on a, ended up on a thread on Facebook. Upon collecting almost a legal pad of stories and, cor and corrections of Shailene's accounts, I dined with Rita in the comfort of our small but comfortable kitchen. After watching another documentary on the History Channel, I went upstairs to prepare for bed. Rita followed, carrying her iPad, her knitting basket, and a cup of tea. I leaned against the headboard, attempting to read, but as sleep deprivation took hold, I was soon fast asleep. It was, however, not a peaceful sleep of dogs on the hearth, but one that took me on a voyage of understanding 
and understanding that I had awakened something by my immersion into the unknown. I awakened to the presence of the room, our bedroom, pitch dark, held something sinister. For the first time in my life, like a child in kindergarten, I cowered within the thin blanket of night. The feelings went distinctly different, were distinctly different. Not the American Indians who stood on either side of me, benign, watching, almost protective. That night had become malignant. A phantom was the first word that came to mind as I languished in dread, eyeing Rita in the dim light of her wing chair in a desperate struggle not to alarm her. However, on closer inspection, the chair this time was empty. The iPad lay on the chair unopened. It wasn't Rita. It was, a, it was a shapeless cloud. My glasses weren't on, but I think it wouldn't have appeared any different. I watched with one eye for the blinking light on the edge of the tablet, a signal that she had just got up. Perhaps it was returning to bed to continue reading. But the light was dead. The tablet wasn't on. Where is she? By the empty chair at the window, something akin to a deep gray cloud passed, just so fast that it was almost undetected. But it was there. A nebulous cloud-like formation, deep, dark, and shapeless. Without eyes, it watched me. I touched my chest in a self-protective motion, although I noted, odd enough, my arms were still at my sides. I felt my chest flutter, the flutter of a heart in terror. What was in the room was not human, was not a deceased relative or a former tenant. Without eyes, it watched me. It, I touched my chest in a self-protective motion, although I noted, odd enough, my arms were still at my sides. I felt my chest flutter. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. The flutter of a heart in terror. Sorry, I didn't flip up. I'm just going to finish reading this then. <laughs> what was in the room was not human. Was not a deceased relative. Okay. Just make sure it flips up this time. I got stuck. My bad. It telegraphs my mind, in my mind, a feeling of hate. Destruction. Surely, I'm in the midst of a night terror. Something I ate, perhaps, too many sleepless nights, too much exercise, or something that was worrying me. What brought this on? Then it dawned on me. Shailene's stories, too frightening to put away in the back of my mind, were now invading my sleep. The bed began to shake, side to side. Then something was moving, floating, it seemed, towards the bed. I feel it looking at me intently, in hate. I found myself shaking, quaking, in fear with the bed. I reached for the lamp, the consolation of light, a scream forming in my throat. Rita, Rita, wake me up, please. Someone is in the room. Chains. It was dragging chains as it approached me. I heard it first. Then I thought I saw it. Nope, it was in my mind's eye. Something was approaching our bed in chains, shackled and now unmoored. It was loose, angry, and was shaking me from slumber. So I could see it. The throw of chains, moving closer, closer. I tried to reach for anything, thrashing in my mind, willing, willing my body to move, to yell, to move my arms, to push away the intruder in the room. In vain, I tried to open my eyes, envisioning a bright light protecting the bed around me. I imagined Rita with a halo of light. I must protect her. I thought of TJ, my oldest, and Tim, my youngest. I thought it was a love I had for them. Despite the growing coldness in the room, I sweated with effort, willing and intending the dark manifestation to go away. You're not welcome here. Get out of my house. 
My eyes fluttered as I sensed movement, wishing for the daybreak to come and steal away the malevolence. A hand reached for me, shaking my shoulder. It was Rita. She had silently re-entered the room with a coffee mug. She couldn't sleep. Milk. I smelled the comfort of milk. Warm, benevolent milk. Then I slept again. I awakened to a gnawing dread to what seemed like just minutes. I thought I heard chains. It was back. It was glaring at me. The bed shook, this, this time with a vengeance. It was larger, darker in my mind's eye. I was again caught in a helpless grip. I envisioned the light so bright. I surrounded Rita with the light. Then I tried to remember my prayers from childhood. The cloud, whatever it was, had dissipated. I opened my eyes, glanced to my right where I felt it. The bed had stopped vibrating. Silence. Rita was at the window on her chair, grasping her iPad from the small lamp table, studying me. I shut my eyes as if asleep. I must stop. I must stop calling Shailene. Stop. But I didn't. I gave in to an impulse. In retrospect, I was spiraling out of control. As if I needed further validation that the stories were true, real, valid to her, if not me. And now the ravings of a woman left alone with her own thoughts ravished perchance, perchance, perchance on my by my trauma. I met with her. I reasoned I could always visit with my sister, who lived just minutes away in the next town. Convenient way to kill two birds with one stone. She was not as I expected. What should I have expected? Yes, I met with her. Shailene, she dreamed. I drove to the edge of New York, to the edge of New York, meeting Shailene halfway. It was fall then, and it was fall by then in 2016. At a modest log cabin cafe frequented by tourists en route to points north, I paused to take in the rest. Take in the rustic feel of the place that seemed on the verge of becoming a place for skiers, hikers, and campers. Attached to the sign in front were ads for Cabela's fishing gear, tents, and sporting equipment. There was a poster announcing Backcountry Hunters' annual cook-off. A field, okay, a field to table event, decorated with pictures of deer antlers, elk, and muskox. Riverville was a small, nondescript town bordered by woods yet to be discovered and made picturesque by postcards. It was not Cromwell, it was not Cornwall, where my sister lived. It was not Simsbury, where the UFO meditation group met. But it had a vibe. A very distinct one, which I later would recall as eerie. In the midst of tables that dotted the center of the cafe, sat a youthful-looking woman with thick salt and pepper hair in a bun, stylishly raised in a coil. Small heart-shaped earrings glinted in the firelight of the glass fire of the gas fireplace. Adjacent to the table, she picked. She appeared frail, slim, and petite. Upon making eye contact, Shailene waved her. Shailene waved her eyes, raised in expectation and welcome brightness. Her strength of character showed in her eyes, like one seasoned in life, but not defeated by its trials. I joined her and sat across this petite woman and opened my folder. She offered coffee and I accepted, pleasantly surprised at her uplifting mood, despite the information she had been sharing with me by phone. Shailene shared again her current experiences at night. Then, slowly, we delved into the file as I aimed for clarification, for retelling that she told me was she was sincere. Now in the presence of an experiencer, I gauged her, an honest narrative and candid retelling. I pressed her for details, glancing down at my files now and again to see if she was duplicating what she had told me before. I sensed her guardedness on the phone thaw. 
a letting go that came with a sense of me that I had purported to be. I am as she expected. She began at the beginning and what seemed to be an unremarkable childhood that progressed into visitations that went on for the rest of her life. By the end of the meeting, it was later in the afternoon. Once again, that night, I was visited by dreams that took hold of me in fits of wakefulness and worry. What should I do with her information? Had I, in my ignorance of the power of things unseen, and malevolent awakened malice that now invaded my sleep? 36, Shailene at 1970, Riverville, Connecticut. Let me have a little sip of water here. Very dry in here. Last week I got overheated somehow. Okay, continuing on. Chapter 36. We moved in on a bright Sunday morning. The daffodils just ready to burst by the edge of the tree line that marked the forest behind the trailer. I had little to bring, but we had some furniture from my parents his own, and some I bought. All in all, I was pleased with our tiny home at the edge of the wooded lot, a place of silence and privacy. I busied myself after the episode with the creature that clung to our car, which still troubled me and led to fitful slumber. I tried to clean Bob's car the scratches, the, I, the indentations on the hood reminding me that what chased us was real. What was unreal was how Bob attacked me within minutes of the creature's sudden departure. I kept our trailer clean cooked, and made a little garden to make, make it feel cozy, quaint at home. Bob was still perturbed about his loss of memory when he attacked me within minutes of the creature approaching my car, door before it finally disappeared. His parents, even more concerned about th their son's sudden violent behavior, questioned him time and time and again, but to no avail. They took him to a doctor, but his behavior remained a mystery. I tossed it up to the stress of our new life together and moving into our own home. About two weeks later, now more settled in and with more or less the routine of work, more or less the routine of work, chores, and home, we found ourselves restless and bored. On the lark, we drove around. It was a Friday night, so we were looking for something to do, as young adults did in a small town with limited forms of entertainment. However, this time, we refrained from going down that lonely road and took a different shortcut to my parents' home. We found ourselves driving down through some farmland. The afternoon was turning to dusk. The rolling green grass is turning what fields into wheat fields, which permeated most of the landscape. Here and there, the fields were interrupted by a farmhouse, a paddock, broken farm equipment, a cow or two. Then, as Bob pushed on towards my parents' area further into the country, the fields were punctuated by tall grasses, and the houses became fewer. Then I spotted a red barn in the distance on Bob's side of the road, a small wooden barn, old and in need of repairs. As Bob pressed closer to the barn, taking in the view ahead, he slowed to look at me questioningly. He thought I was staring at him. Do I look that handsome? He grinned. I smiled. Of course. I wasn't going to alert him of what I had just seen and continued to observe. Something tall stood by the side of the barn. A helmet protected its head. An ammunition belt around its waist and long arms past its knees hung at its sides. The huge head with red eyes glared back at me. At the end of its arms were claws, lobster claw hands of what appeared to be an armored soldier. I couldn't peel my eyes off the being. I was riveted to his eyes, hateful red eyes. It was a creature, perhaps. It reminded me of a creature referred to by a series on television, the Anunnaki. What are you looking at, Bob asked in a whisper. 
I turned away and faced forward. I was afraid that if he made eye contact with the entity, he would be somehow influenced again. Possessed was the word that came to mind. Bob tapped on the brake, wondering what I was staring at, which was beyond him. Don't stop. He didn't, but I got to observe it as it deserved me. A penny for your thoughts, Bob said. It's nothing, just taking in the view. Fine. It hurts, I thought. I avoided making another comment, not wishing for any of Bob's attention on it ever again. But something told me it was in pain. It left us alone this time, but later something else took over, closer to home. 37. Tom. I walked the surrounding area, still convinced that whatever plagued Shailene has something to do with the history of the area. Were there people with similar experiences near where she lived? Other abductees? Is this the haunted town? Is, is this is this the haunted town a portal? Is this haunted town a portal for other types of visitations? Mine was rooted in some type of American Indian connection. I strolled, taking in the view of a covered bridge, a street which led further north to Massachusetts and beyond. I was feeling disoriented for a moment, tossing it up to several sleepless and restless nights. The late afternoon slowed to early evening, taking with it the last rays of the late fall sun. The chill took hold and crept into my jacket, reminding me to follow the dry leaves as they flew towards the yellow Volvo and an eternal salt of earthen hues. I decided to deliberately put away the notebook, which is Shailene's information, Not now that it was complete. This trip, this meeting, was a meeting of closure. I must now put it behind me as I will try putting the notebook away, literally, for the sake of my own sanity and the safety of the home that was my center for a family. For a few weeks, I would and must shelve it, so to speak, and commence with the maps instead. Hopefully, this meeting would allow my mind to rest and putting the material away would help me put some distance on a very frightening series of encounters. The meeting marked the end of my investigation of Shailene. Behind the stories was a woman of humble means, a very down-to-earth individual who was sincere, friendly, and had much to lose should her tight-knit community find out about her experiences. She would be shunned. Her isolation was, and is, truly a reality in the society that surrounded her. She would not be accepted, and her children already made her know that their attitude of by their attitude of disbelief. I turned my head and my mind to the next project, a project that would absorb me, at least for several weeks, on the nature of sightings and their correlation to earthquakes. It would become material for my next book while I tried to regain my equilibrium and deliberated on how best to help the lifetime experiencers, particularly Shailene. I glanced back at the cafe and the adjoining inn one last time and spotted Shailene watching me by her car. She waved. I waved back, pulling my jacket around me and zipping it against a stiff breeze. I watched her enter her small SUV and drive off. Her isolation from her family and friends stayed with me, like the sadness of a goose who soared too high and missed the migrating flock. A community that like the migrating fox, excuse me, allergies, left her to fly alone to a destination she could only imagine. If I shared my own, would I have to fly alone? I shrugged on my pajamas later that night as I spotted my wife enter the room in her own dressing gown and adjusted the lamp by the dresser where her tablet lay. Her movements, so familiar to me, were relaxed, comfortable. 
and hummed with the security of a safe home. Unharried, though productive, her hands reached for a spool of yarn as she, cro as she crocheted by the window. A table runner in blues and greens, which reminded me of our trip to New Hampshire just a year ago. My thoughts turned to the silent specter just a few nights before and wondered what the apparition had intended with the visitation. I sensed a foreboding vibe from it and wondered if she sensed it too, but chose not to mention anything. As if hearing my thoughts, Rita looked up as I reclined on the bed, my nose in a book. Did you say something? Not recently. I thought you asked me something. Actually, now that you asked, I was just thinking about... Well... What were you thinking of asking me? Rita put down her crochet needle, waiting. When you're awake sitting there? Yes. Have I always been here? Here? She put her hands up to show the room in general. Yes, here in the room. She appeared perplexed. Hun, have you not seen me lying here? I restated. Oh, it's me. Sorry. Hun, have you not seen have you, have you ever not seen me lying here? I restated. Dear, is everything all right? She approached and sat on the bed, reaching to grasp my hand. I was now baffling her. Everything seems fine to me. I just need to ask, if I am in bed, do I ever leave? You mean to go to the bathroom? No. What then? Leave to go where? I I don't know. Just if you ever look while I'm supposedly asleep, do I ever go missing from the bed? Silence. I had now troubled my wife even more. She looked away out and out the window. When she looked back, she appeared concerned but calm. I have not seen you disappear from the bed, if that's what you mean. I know, I sounded crazy. I was just wondering, you know? As in sleepwalking? Could be. No. No? No. You always see me here. Yes, asleep. Silence. Did you mean when you are having a nightmare? Was I? Yes, a few nights ago. A few, a few nights. Yes, before you went to Connecticut to interview that lady. I nodded in understanding, waiting. I shook you awake. You were fighting something. Did I say anything? Silence. I think you mumbled something. I couldn't hear it. Do you remember? I do. Rita looked away. You seem to... I sensed she was wondering or unsure. Well, if I'm asleep too, I certainly won't see you leaving, she qualified. But that night, you appeared stressed in your sleep. Okay, I agreed. I was. But you were here the whole time. Okay. Any more phone calls to make? No, I'm done. Any more meetings? Nope, definitely not. You're not telling me everything. It wasn't an accusation, but a statement. Nope, not yet. 19, chapter 38, 1971, Riverville, Connecticut. The trailer sat on a piece of open ground that was bordered on the three sides by woods. Let me double check, make sure we're broadcasting okay over here. Just let me do a quick check. Okay. Everybody's here. Okay. Going back. The trailer sat on a piece of open ground that was bordered on three sides by woods. Shailene had planted flowers in front, a mixture of perennials, salvias, a lilac bush, and some yellow daffodils. They were now all dormant with the expectation of frost. The front door had one turnkey lock, which worried her in her isolation, but it was sturdy. Inside, a small living room connected to a dining room, dining, dining area with an L-shaped kitchen with built-in cabinets and a counter. Past the counter was a small family area where she had a high chair set up in expectation of a child and a television set sat facing a small sofa and an armchair. Two bedrooms completed the double wide with a bathroom in between. 
The second bedroom was in the process of being converted to a nursery in preparation for the new family member. The windows in summer opened to the breeze with slats made of aluminum that opened and shut like blinds. Shailene fitted the windows with curtains in green and white, which made the small kitchen appear cheerful and airy. At night, she drew them shut for privacy, despite the wooded lot as the living room and the kitchen windows faced the street. The two bedrooms, theirs at the end and the smaller one next to it, faced the backyard, had windows as well. A small bathroom separated the two bedrooms. She kept the curtains shut in the bedrooms, but left the windows open to the breeze on one night. Tonight, there was a chill in the air. And for the first time since their move over summer, she felt cabin fever. Now more acute with the weather preventing them from sitting outside. She also sensed the coldness of the second and smaller bedroom, where she had planned to make a nursery. The street, a small road, was nondescript with little traffic. Most of the day the traffic passed in the rush hour morning. And after five, there were passing commuters going, in, going to and fro from one town to another. The nights were silent as, as a cloister. On a late autumn evening, Shailene withdrew the bed, withdrew to bed after her husband left for work. Now, expecting her first child, she began to feel different and restless. At least the morning sickness was over with the onset of a second trimester. Shailene secured the front door to the living room, checked the windows, and prepared for bed at the other end of the trailer. A portable heater sat near the bed where she leaned down to turn on. It was colder at the ends of the trailer, and the windows seemed to allow the cold to seep through. She made a note to get something to seal the window edges to make the trailer more insulated. She wondered about the smaller bedroom, which they had used before as storage. The main bedroom had a window across from the bedroom door, which led out a short hallway, where the bathroom and would-be nursery lay. As Shaylee lay down, she noted the sounds of the night through the window and fell asleep realizing the walls were thinner than a normal house. The windows, single pane. She realized with the protectiveness of a mother-to-be that she could not and should not raise a child here. Eyes shut across the night. Against the night, Shailene pondered where they would move when the infant was born. As she mused, she finally gave in to exhaustion and fell asleep. As she lay in the darkness, a faint light shone through that window, or shone through the window, then moved away. The bedroom, dark and silent, except for Shailene's regular exhalations, was, was tomb-like. Outside, night sound issued from the forest. Then, silence. An ominous cloud, fortunate, passed over a crescent moon. It was the sudden silence that woke Shailene. The clock showed 3.45 a.m. Faint chanting. It was gaining momentum, as if a group was moving towards the trailer. Shailene stirred, feeling a need to use the nearby bathroom just outside the open door, bedroom door. She felt the strangeness that had nothing to do with her pregnancy. Pressure from her bladder prodded her to get off the bed. She slowly pulled the covers off, shrugged on slippers, shrugged on, shrugged on slipper feet, and trudged sleepily into the toilet. As she sat on the toilet, she glanced up at the small bathroom window over the tub. Strange how dark and silent it was, she noticed. Then she heard the chanting, stronger now. She couldn't locate it. She quickly got off the toilet and peered between the slats and dark wood. The sounds appeared to go fainter, farther away. Shailene re-entered the bedroom, laid down and pulled the covers up. Something stirred. The chanting seemed closer. 
Shailene's eyes flew open. Suddenly, the chanting was getting in volume. It seemed to be coming from the other end of the trailer. Inside the dark trailer. Gnome-like, but tall in stature, they swayed side to side, faceless, hooded, features cloaked in an hour of malice. They seemed to move in unison, all four or five, it seemed. They glided past the kitchen, and suddenly they were there, in the hallway. Shailene found she couldn't look. Her eyes now glued shut by a force not her own. Felt a collective presence manifest from somewhere. Pinned to the bed, like in a fit of night terror, Shailene forced her hand to move, but like in childhood, she felt a familiar wave of bizarre silence descend upon her as Stahlheim. She was mute. Unmoving. A dread took hold of her. She is paralyzed. She tried to turn her head just one inch. Just one inch. She fought. She found she couldn't. She wasn't allowed to see them. They were moving, she sensed. Something she couldn't see was moving towards the bedroom. Shailene began to sweat. The effort of attempting to scream, to react with one freed hand, was taking stupendous strength. Finally, a movement. Her hand. Shailene, freed, sat up. The faint light from the window on her le left shone down on the bed, but she wasn't alone. Slowly, she turned her head towards the open door that led to the hallway. There they stood, five hooded figures, taller than her, their countenance in darkness. Her voice screamed in her head. The hooded entity stood motionless. Shailene found her voice. Chris wrote and locked, Get out! Get away from me! She shifted and made to get up, freeing herself from the tangle of sheets. Free. She sensed movement. A draft blew from somewhere within the trailer. She bolted up, grabbed the brush from a dresser drawer, and stepped out of the bedroom. Ahead of her, huddled in a mass, all five figures were entering the bathroom. She gasped, taken aback by their, by their motor-like movements, moving in unison. Terrified, she deliberated whether she should go after them. Finally, she followed them and stood at the bathroom door, empty. She surveyed the small bathroom where she found, where she found in her consternation, the window was still shut. The way she found them when she had used the toilet. Apparitions? Is the trailer haunted? The woods? She bolted for the window, checking to make sure it was shut and locked. It was. Out in the short hallway, Shailene held the hairbrush poised over her head and entered the spare bedroom where the new crib lay on one side of the small room. She parted the curtains and looked out the window, turning the blinds to open the view. Outside, the darkness showed a body of water beyond the thick foliage of trees, the river. Shailene resolved to investigate the river for neighbors who might have crossed and entered her little dwelling. She shivered at the thought of someone daring, daring to enter, daring enough to enter during the safety of her home, an intruder. But she pondered the worst, like the entity by the barn, the creature who rode the back of their car. Not again, please. Not when I have a child in me. Out in the hall, Shailene looked down to inspect the carpeted floor. Nothing. It was clean, unsoiled by dirty shoes or footprints of any sort. A coldness, a draft, took hold of her in her pajamas. She looked up, past the kitchen, a brightness issued from the living room area by the front door. Slowly, now poised to attack the unseen vagrant who entered her home, Shailene grabbed a hammer from the kitchen counter. She trod slowly, she trod softly, looking out the window in the kitchen then parted the curtains to her right that faced the street. The street was deserted. She glanced at the clock on the wall of the living room, ahead, 5 a.m., silence, then a breeze. Shailene stopped. 
The front door, which she had locked last night, was wide open. Okay, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Hey, that was good. That's going to give me nightmares. Don't know about anybody else, but that's going to give me nightmares. I want to thank everybody for coming today. Tomorrow at noon Pacific time on California Haunts Radio, we will be talking with Matt Lewis. And he is a uh, British historical writer. And he's going to be writing about, we're going to be talking about the true story of Richard III and the three missing, usually dolphins, or you can say uh, the princess, the three missing princes. If you guys know the legend of the princess, there's rumors that, that they were buried somewhere in King Richard's castle. So we're going to be asking him questions about that tomorrow. So that should be an interesting interview. Again, it's not our usual time. It's noon, noon Pacific time, okay? For you guys over on TikTok, if you're interested in seeing the, the main show, you can do that. It's uh, youtube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio. That'll get you in. And if you haven't done so already and you see something you like over there, or you like tomorrow's show, please feel free to subscribe, okay? Just like you guys watching tonight from Facebook, um, if you haven't done so already, uh, hit that follow button. I see some, I see some people show me some love. Excellent. Same thing over to TikTok. If you like what you heard tonight, double tap that screen for me and show me some love, some hearts my way. I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, same thing. All right. So that being said, uh, we're about to end this for today. And uh, it was a nice, it was a nice read. I didn't get overheated or anything. Who knows? Maybe, maybe I got attacked by something last week. Who knows? But anyway, I want to say again, thank you all for coming. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We are equal opportunity here, California Arts Radio. We're just trying to get the word out about our show. Okay, we're trying to get this show going and get rolling. Over on TikTok, we will be meeting again sometime during the week. Uh, Karen Clark is going to have her first main show with, with me, and we're going to be doing some psychic readings and talking ghost stories and everything else. And I'll have an announcement about that, just like I did before. I did this one with the announcement. I'll have that out for people on TikTok. But thank you guys. Thank you, everybody. And I really appreciate it. And I will see you guys tomorrow at noon Pacific. Have a great one, everyone. Sign off here. Double sign off.